The journey following mastectomy can be a very vulnerable one for those recovering from breast cancer. The role of self-care can help in the healing on a subtle and physical level. Join Deanna in a very special conversation about ways to care for the chest tissue after surgery and how to help tissue to mend while reducing scars and restoring vitality to the area. Okay, should we do one more question? Yes. Okay, so Rose had her implant removed recently and she is dealing with seromas and she's had them drain twice. They're telling her now she's gonna have to have more surgery if the seroma doesn't get under control. If you have something to add to seromas. I know for me, I was taught by my naturopathic doctor with seromas was a product called Wobenzyme. It's an enzyme and that's what he prescribes to people to clean up inflammation and deal with seromas. If they're really bad, I think he was saying there were other things they did, but I took that stuff as a precaution. I have found with a situation like that, I would go for spikenard essential oil. Spikenard would like rock that and it could just heal that up. It's antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, because all of those can be involved here. Actually in part of the inflammation, six drops uh, spikenard like three times a day. And then as it's healing, you would just start doing like six drops twice a day and then six drops once a day, you know, and you could work your way down, but like that'll just mend heal, clean up that tissue. And it's just a great thing for after surgery in general. In many cultures doing plant medicine, you would actually put that right, like it's considered a nature's band-aid because it's a resin. So you would put it right on the scar. But I always tell people, remember it's going in your bloodstream. So if you do not feel safe doing that, or you know your doctor is going to be very upset, or you're going to have to tell them or whatever the thing is, then just put it above or below and it's still going to work in that region. But it is used as a nature's band-aid and you can make sure, but spikenard is amazing for making sure you don't get a secondary infection after surgery and mending tissue, like binding and sealing up tissue, which is what's needed here. And I'd add to the seromas on her explant side. So she took an implant out. So you're dealing with other levels, like the other side is fine, right? But the explant side is dealing with all that inflammation still of what was happening with the implant. So you have the capsule and all of that. Um, and then how about aloe vera? Do you all know about aloe vera and just what a valuable plant? It's the most hydrating bitter we have because bitters are quite dry. And if you have done chemo or any kind of medication and surgery, you know, you're just in a more dehydrated state and cancer itself is a depleted state. So you always have to look at hydration. I have an amazing little ebook called the trine of hydration that you should get. It's like $5.99, but it's like the three most important things to do to rebuild your cells and plump up your cells and move water through your body. And that's a great way to deal with inflammation, a bucket of water, <laughs> you know, I mean, hydration puts out fires, but aloe is hydrating, but it's a bitter. So it pulls excess inflammation out of your body, out of the liver and down into the intestines. So you can move it through. So you want to get inner filet aloe and you can do a half a cup every morning, every night. 
If you really want to make it the most amazing bitter ever and take a little further, muddle some mint and add some lime juice. And you just made a little deeper of a liver bitter that's still hydrating. Chewing on mint leaves, man, that is a great recovery tool. And it's refreshing when you're in the hospital environment and you can smell everything that becomes kind of part of your experience. It's one of our senses. Those mint just, ah, and you're getting great medicine, great anti-inflammatory. I'm going to put in the comments, you guys, I'll put in the aloe vera. It's easy. It's aloeverafarms.com. And it's really just some aloe, the stuff we buy in the store. I don't like the taste that much. This is the best tasting aloe. And Deanna has found it to be one of the most active aloes. And the only running organic aloe farm in all of the USA. They're a great company. How much with the aloe, like a half a cup a day, a half, half a cup, a cup twice, twice a day is yeah. like even considered long-term if you know you run inflamed. And I always say, now you had inflammatory markers. Now you know inflammation affected your body. So yeah. for the rest of your life, you have to look at inflammation. Mm -hmm. And it really is just the truth of recovery is the less inflammation, the less scar tissue you make. The less inflammation, the less your cells can mutate. So half a cup twice a day is like, ah, great idea for like the rest of your life, you know? And then there's a whole nother part of this, which is you mentioned enzymes. So there could be a product for enzymes. Um, I don't usually do a lot of like capsules or products. Yeah. In Ayurved, your primary enzymes, which is how we make sure our cells are strong and don't mutate. And it's also how we make sure the immune system is strong and it doesn't make scar tissue, are enzymes. So I agree with that enzymatic concept, but you can get enzymes from coriander, cumin, fennel, cardamom. Coriander, cumin, fennel, cardamom. If you put a little teaspoon of each of those in a bowl every day, we're just talking about spice seeds and just chew on them and eat them. There is such great enzymatic value in spices that are quite underutilized as like medicine. And then now you got medicine that's got great flavor. And those are all the things that are breath fresheners anyway, maybe not cumin. I wouldn't say that's a breath freshener, <laughs> but cardamom is used for that. Yeah. You know, the fennel's used for that. And our odor is our toxins. So that's why all of these things that are clearing the liver and enzymatically sloughing and keeping the tissue strong, they're all the same things that, you know, put us into just really natural, easy detoxes. You know, you don't want to throw your body off too much. It's already been through a lot. Yeah. You want to trust some building blocks too. And I just, I love when we can use food as our medicine. That's always been a huge thing for me. I, when I started studying herbal medicine, I had a background in chemistry and I thought I would like definitely be going into like that clinical side of herbal medicine. And I found as I started studying it, that I was way more into like growing the plants, knowing the plants. I was like, how can I prescribe this stuff if I don't know these plants? So I started learning more about the plants and definitely getting more into the food and all of that. And I found too, when people would say, I'm having this problem. My first question wasn't like, oh, you should take this herb. It was always like, what do you eat? You know, what, what are you putting in your body that might be accentuating or whatever, like ha having an effect on this, what's happening. And so 
then I moved way more towards kind of food is medicine and how can I incorporate these herbs and stuff into what I'm eating and cooking every day for me and my family to help us stay healthy. Yeah, you could put a lot of medicine right in a healthy, yummy meal. It can still taste great. Starting with fresh, you know, with whole herbs, the whole seeds, grinding them up in a coffee grinder or whatever is a lot of times when you're buying those bottles of powder in the store, there's not a lot left in that. They're not as potent. I mean, you can use them and stuff, but sometimes those whole seeds, you grind them up and smell the difference between the powdered stuff you have and the fresh ground herb, and you'll see a big difference. A lot more active components. Any um, questions in here? Yeah, there was two more. Alyssa was asking, she said she's always loved heat and saunas, but she was told after her surgery and after her lymph node removal to not do sauna anymore. That I disagree. Yeah, me too. Okay, this is the way I would look at it. At the Diana Center here, we have a self-care sanctuary. It's a bathhouse and we have a steam room and a sauna. So when somebody is depleted or after surgery, I highly suggest a steam room is preferred because it's a wet environment. Saunas are dry environment. Dry makes dry. Wet makes wet. So if you have a lot of edema, you need a sauna. If you have a lot of ropey, dry, kind of bound up tissue, you actually need a steam room. So that would be the difference in like which heat, but I totally disagree with the idea that me uh, getting warm or sweating is going to make inflammation because when you sweat, you're actually letting off steam and you're sweating and you're moving, you're releasing inflammation, especially inflammation like in the form of toxins. So I totally disagree. Molly could speak to it. I mean, she went into the bathhouse before chemo and after chemo every single time. That was her thing. And she got through that so incredible. I always say when you get the pounding heart and you're getting overheated, know when to stop. You know that now. It's a whole new idea on how much can you handle or not, right? Everything changes, but heat's the same way. And in Ayurveda, I mean, you would be sweating every single day before after surgery or with something like chemo so that's an important thing you'll have to feel like that feels right to you there's going to be opinions in the world so only listen to me if it sounds right to you and you feel really safe with looking at it in a different way yeah i'll say that post-surgery and post lymph removal and everything I heat up faster in the sauna now, but I'm postmenopausal now, all of that stuff. So I don't, I have to get out. And the cold plunge is a really important part of the sauna. Making sure that you're leaving, submerging, or getting showered in cold water after your sauna and then going back in. So that back and forth is super important too. Yeah, well, that's the expand and contract. So right. it's like you're getting profuse and inflamed with the heat. And then the cold tonifies it back and it flushes toxins out. Right. Actually flushes out and pulls your tonification back and sinks you back into your body. So yes, finishing with cold is very important. It doesn't have to be freezing. It just has to be a little bit of a cool down. Yeah, I do that in my daily showers. I do the cold and make sure the cold all hits this whole area. After my hot shower, I always finish with cold. So what Alyssa follows up with is she says, they seem to fear saunas are a lymphedema risk activity, but is it that people just don't get lymphedema? 
She says they literally told her not to do it for the rest of her life. We address I mean, that. They're, they're just worried you're going to get inflamed and then your fluid's going to get stuck. If you look at it that basic, I understand their concept. You know, I do understand the concept. But if you're in there not just getting profuse and you're thinking cold in the end, or in our steam room, people take a gua sha in with them. And so they're in there actually moving towards their drain and flushing things. I just have never seen an adverse response. I've only seen healthy and better response. That's the way I look at it. Proof's in the pudding. If I saw someone get edema and lymphedema from going in my bathhouse, I would be posting, you know, just like I would for pregnancy or anything else. I'd be posting that that's not healthy, but it's not what we see. Most people are really glad they got in there. But again, you're wanting to move your lymph while you're doing it. One more question that had come up is around keloid scars. Keloids are basically somebody who their scar tissue, instead of embedding itself under or next to a muscle, it actually is layering and there's a scar that is extended out in the skin layer. So some people make more scar in the tissue under the skin and some people make more scarring on the skin, on top of the skin. That's the difference in this. So it's still, you wanna treat it just like it's scar tissue. There's no special anything other than just when it's under the muscle or under the skin layer, sometimes you can really get in there with the gua sha and start getting comfortable and breaking it up. And with keloids, you just have to make sure that you really soften the perimeters and then kind of flatten it in the middle, soften the perimeters all around it, flatten in the middle. And ginger grass is the most brilliant essential oil for keloids. Ginger grass is the way to go. I like it for scar tissue in general. So now I've mentioned cypress and the ginger grass. But there's something about that ginger grass that just is, you know, and it also grows in places like a lot of people who keloid have darker skin and ginger grass grows in those countries and in those regions. So I also noticed that it's like that matching of the plants that are part of our ancestors. So I just find it interesting that the ginger grass comes up and even I think the ginger grass I have right now, I think this one's out of Egypt. So I would say that the ginger grass could be just put on there too. And you could just be softening it with your fingers and you can, you know, grab that little scar tissue build up in your fingers. You can grab it you can roll it and you can soften it in every direction and you can roll it around and just treat it like it needs to be tenderized and smoothed out. You're just changing the consistency. But man, have I seen those change, which is really cool. Most times I don't see the color variation that happens with keloids. I don't see the color matching the skin in that region. So I haven't really been able to change as much of that discoloration or losing the pigment in that tissue itself. But at least it can be smoothed out and it doesn't feel like it's this thing that's just kind of hanging out there that you don't know what to do with. You can do things with it. Ginger grass would be the way to go with that one. Also the red mandarin that I brought it out because it's great for scar tissue and it's really cheap. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for a nice, good, cheap essential oil that is good for scar tissue, that would be it. Cypress and ginger grass aren't major prices. If you were going to buy an oil that was really expensive, the one you'd want to go to if you've had cancer is heliochrysum. And it is one drop a day. Do not overuse the heliochrysum. It is very potent and strong, but it is so anti-cancerous. 
And I always just say like a drop of helichrysum a day to keep the cancer away, <laughs> you know, just like this plant is so revered and utilized in so many different cultures for cancer research and has been used for so long and it's expensive. It's a spendy little oil, but you know, you're paying a hundred bucks for 10 mil. You got 600 drops in there. So you got 600 days to do one drop. So it's not really that expensive in the end. That would be the go-to for just like, if you're looking for something just to hold the anti-cancer relation to your body, that's the plant. Heliochrysum italicum. You don't want grandifolium, though it's lovely. You want Heliochrysum italicum. A-T-L-I-C-H-R-Y-S-U-M. But yeah, keloids, this is another great tool for the keloids, the rocks. Because you can just put it right on top of there and you can just like really work some energy right into that. And it'll just get warm and open and soften. And the more it softens, the more you can start really going in with the gua sha and melting it down. But I have another tool here. And this one is kind of wackadoodle, but you can find these in many places. So I'm just going to show you this prickly little thing. What this is, I got it when I was in Oaxaca, but I saw it and I was like, that's a perfect little prickly tool for breaking up scar tissue. Not a new scar. We talked about how to treat a new scar. We talked about how to break up a scar. We've now talked about three different kinds of scars, keloids, masses of scarring, and then also adhesions. Those are types of scar tissue. What about old scars? What if there's anyone here who has like, this has been ongoing or you're still in process and you're three, five, 10 years out still looking for answers because I meet a lot of those people. So this becomes a really important tool and it can be anything that's just a little prickly, right? And this is where also a really rough dry brush has that same, it's really good for old scars that need that little bit of a like stoking. But this is really good because you just roll it over A lot of acupuncture warehouses have these because it's another one that in Chinese and Tibetan medicine, they do a lot of what are literally called irritant for blood flow. (laughs) So you're actually asking the blood to come to the surface to help break something up and change it. So there is a time if you have really old or really thick scars like you can't even feel anything. There's numbness and it's just so stiff. It's like you just there's nothing you think you can do. You might need a little bit more of an irritating little prickly thing that is going to actually activate and get some blood flow up under that scar tissue. And then that really changes the way you could break up old scar tissue. So we're having to look at like, where are you at in this journey? It changes the way that scar tissue has gotten kind of tight and inert. And then you could probably start gua shaing sooner than later. And that just needs to start getting melted and broken up. Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about seaweed and using seaweed poultices on scars externally or what its benefits. Obviously, dietary are helpful as well. Okay. Well, I am a massive fan of seaweed. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. And it has no fat content, so it doesn't hold toxins from the ocean. It's a weaker crop, but so is all of our other vegetables, (laughs) but it's not a toxic crop. And I think that's an important thing to start with. So seaweeds are still viable medicine. 
They are the most complete protein we have in the world of the plant kingdom. So they can give you the same amount of protein as meat. If you don't eat meat, I put people on seaweed supplementally. And there's something protein and it's the protein in the seaweed that gives us some really important factors. One is protein is how we make enzymes. So that is highly enzymatic. The other thing is it's got like the same vitamins and minerals that you would get in a red meat. So it's got a really common compound to like where you would see more minerals. I mean, if a piece of meat is red, there's more minerals there. And seaweed can really compare with that. So you get all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the electrolytes. So it actually goes in and hydrates the tissue to get it to flush and soften. And then you also have all the amino acids, which is like all the things that regulate the trauma in the body. So huge fan. The other thing I like is you can get like, say you went to the ocean and you got bullwhip kelp, or you found like a sheet of seaweed. You can also buy seaweed and reconstitute it. And then you put that sheet on there and then you gua sha and you drive all the minerals and the enzymes and you gua sha over the seaweed. And it is amazing how much it drives nutrients into that tissue. So it's nutritive super nutritive and has more ability to break down scar tissue than an oil ever will have. So yeah. So would you leave it on there wet and let it dry onto the skin or just leave it kind of rehydrated as you go? I would do it like a pack. So I would say you want to let it soak on your skin, whether you're massaging with it or just letting it sit on there, maybe 15, 20 minutes in a day, and then just really rub all the mucilogenic parts, like rub that in like you would an oil. So don't rinse it off. Okay. Did that answer the question? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Any particular seaweed type over another? Well, the one that has the most enzymes for breaking down scar tissue and healing tissue is bladderwrack. Okay. But I am okay. clearly telling you not to eat bladderwrack unless you know you need it. So Mm -hmm. topical, bladderwrack topical. Kombu, you could eat kombu and kelp and you could use it topically. Right. But the most enzymatic we have is that the darker ones like arame, hajiki, bladderwrack. I love my seaweed. I know, me too. I'll use it in the bath too. And a lot of times... I use them for cold sores sometimes, little eczema things that I get. Seaweed just seems so amazing for, and I'll take the seaweed, keep it in the fridge in some cool water so it gets really slimy and then add that to the bath. And then a lot of times it'll get even more slimy and then you can just be in the bathtub Mm. and have it on you. Then you've got the heat, you've got the seaweed and you're doing it and you can just put that into like a bathing thing too. Great idea. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, That I have people do douches and enemas with. Because you might as well remineralize the colon or remineralize the vaginal wall and the cervix versus strip it out. You don't even know what we're stripping sometimes, you know, and we strip our bacteria out too, our healthy, good stuff. So I'm all about like soaking the pan and letting those minerals do the work for you. So that's a whole other way you can use it. Lovely. Thank you. If our blood is an ocean, Our lymphatic system is part of a network of rivers. The lymphatic system is integral to our immunity as well as our digestion. Get Deanna's top tips for keeping your river flowing smoothly in her book, 
caring for the lymphatic system. One other thing Jody had asked, do you need to gua sha dry brush the whole body to take care of the arm with no lymph nodes? Or can you focus on the arm area? I do know that my LMT works both arms and why do you do more than the effective arm if that's the case? I responded to her because it's all connected to the river, but she was wanting me to ask you specifically. So this is what I do. And I think this is a good answer for you. I think once a week I do full body and it takes me like an hour. I do a salt scrub. I'm a huge believer of three hours a week, all about me taking care of me. And it's a little layer of different things I do. But the end of it is salt scrub, sweat in the tub, and then I go to town. And I like two gua sha's because I got two sides of my body. I've got like two butt cheeks I got to get to, two hips. <laughs> but you can do it with one. But I do full investigation of my body once a week. That's my Monday. I'm all about it. And then... If you could really think 20 minutes every day and then target the areas that you know are affected. So either there's scar tissue or you know there was lymph removed or you have edema, you really want to let that be your daily focus. So you get to have the reward of seeing it change because it's not going to change with one gua sha session. You might feel some flow with one gua sha session. You might feel like something softened more than you expected, but you have no idea what's available till you do like a good 10 day incentive program. Like it'll prove itself if you just do it for 10 days. And then you could find another area and go to that area. And then the other part of this question was like, why the other arm, if the left arm is affected, why do the other arm? Well, our nervous system works together from side to side and we track from one side to the other. And what'll happen is the one side of your body that's not affected will start doing all the work. And then it ends up with all kinds of other issues from being overworked because you're underutilizing the other affected arm. So you do want to keep your equilibrium and keep your nervous system working together side to side. And there are times when somebody has ended up getting the same kind of edema because the whole channel's clogged. I've seen it where someone's like, why am I getting an edema in the other arm? And I'm like, well, the, all the drain is clogged. So we got to get it moving on both sides. So we could flood over on the other side. So I think it's good to do both. But I think the arm most affected, you could do double the time and just like really give the other side a little love. Definitely reiterating that lymphedema is like a dam, right? It's blocked up and you have to work from the backside into the lymphedema arm. If you just start washing this arm, but this is all blocked up here, you're probably going to create more irritation. And that's going to inflame it. I mean, unfortunately, we're not getting educated on how the body works. Yeah. And then that's making all these like parameters of don't do it, don't do this, don't do that. Right. Really, it just takes a little bit of education to be like, actually, you can do that. Yeah. But I think you bring up a great, great point. It really is a river running upstream. That drain's got to be open. If it is backing up, something upstream is not draining. There'd be no other reason why that fluid would sink down back to your ankles or into your wrists. I mean, I'm lucky where I live. I get to teach at Sutter Health and Kaiser. And I have Forestville Clinic. We have an Ayurvedic clinic there that's actually covered on Medicare. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I teach this to doctors. The way it started is, 
I'd go see a client in the hospital and I'd flush all their edema out or in the rehab. And then the doctor comes in and like, where'd you, your edema's gone. And it's like, yeah, this woman came in and (laughs) flushed it all out. And then they're kind of like, who is this person? And so I just kind of started and I like integration. I wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for surgery. So I do have a scar. I have a scar right here. That's about eight inches long from my side of my nipple all the way down the center of my body because I was born with the tumor in my esophagus. They didn't even think I'd survive the surgery, but they gave it to me two weeks old and I lived, but I've actually had a scar in a similar region and it was all weird muddle colored my whole life. And it had a little keloid up at the top and it was binding to the chest my diaphragm, it was like attached to my diaphragm. So it was puckering in one area. And you wouldn't believe what that scar looks like now. You can hardly even see it. I've smoothed the whole thing out. There's no color in it. It just is like an extension of my skin. I just had to kind of a little bit at a time. And let me just remind you, this is a really good cord cutter. I call it my sacred knife. If you're letting out toxins, that's the concept of like, what is stuck in you? What got under your skin? These are situations that get under our skin and affect us. So not only do you have the right to change your skin, but you have the right to move all that emotion and all that trauma out from under your skin. You could really be intentional with this, whether you're sloughing off some stupid thing somebody said, or rather you're sloughing off things in the system you didn't love. I think it's just important to take in all the love too. And where did you get care? And you are alive, just whatever. Things change when you're in these situations and it just shifts so much in relations and we start holding it. So you get to use your gua sha in that way too. Like what are you wanting to move and what flow are you looking for? And you could be very intentional with this, but yeah, full body once a week, pick an area. I don't have any scars to deal with. So I would stick to that until you see the change you want. So I just rotate every week, whatever area I do my whole body this week, my hips were like really more stagnant than usual. So now this whole week until next Monday, I'm on hip duty. So I'm doing my hips every day. And that's what I do every day, get the hips moving. And then next Monday, I'll do my full body again and I'll see what's up for the next week. I need focuses like that. I need like a week, I can do it. And where to go? Set the intention, give me a week, I can do it. Ask me to do something for three months so the rest of my life, I'm gonna be, (laughs) puts me up against my discipline wall, which I have too, even as a practitioner. (laughs) I pulled Palmarosa, Palmarosa essential oil, is for nerve damage. If you have a lot of nerve pain or the prickly sensations that can happen for some people, if that gua sha or even touching yourself is just feeling so, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can, you can just do the hot water bottle and be gentle with yourself and just put some Maha Narayan oil and just love yourself. And you could do up to 10 drops of Palmarosa twice a day. So it's got a little higher dose and it is like nerve damage 101. And we even use it for like getting the pain out of a broken bone, which is a pretty big nerve pain. That's a real tried and true and it's super safe and it doesn't dry out. You can use it for even up to a a few months. It's not going to affect you adversely. So it's very gentle and effective, but Palmarosa is my go-to. You could even do like Palmarosa and Cypress together or... Palmarosa and spikenard. You could really 
use it amongst the other oils and it likes to be blended with just about anybody. It's a community player. It's a grass. <laughs> Those grasses are such community related. We did pull Pomerosa because Molly mentioned maybe nerve pain would be one to think about. And then I also pulled two other essential oils since we have time that are endocrine regulators that are not hormonally antagonistic. You need to know what can you do for your glandular system that is not going to be antagonistic to stirring any of your hormones that you don't want to stir. Okay. So these are the two that are really great. Rose geranium. It's also a kidney tonic, which is the oceans of the body. So it's really good for hydration and you only need three drops twice a day, but really good intricate regulator. And the other one is Clary Sage. Clary Sage is like kind of a little more like heavy and deep, right? Like Clary's like, hi, how are you? Do you need a blanket? Really? You know, people use it for sleeping at night too. It's antispasmodic. So if you're having any like muscle twitches and some of those things that come with scar tissue, Clary Sage is brilliant. And it's also three drops twice a day. But if you're going to take, you, you can't layer every one of those essential oils and yeah. then use them all. You could do cypress and clary sage. You could do rose geranium and palmarosa. Like I think you could pair any two because I gave you a safe list. You could pair any two in a day, but I really wouldn't get beyond that. Yeah. Use them regularly. Right. Or use a couple for a little while and then move on to another, like work your scarves first and then try the endocrine ones if you want. That's right. Any essential oils that we're saying, it's all topical. We are not telling anyone to take essential oils internally inside their body. Only essential oil use is topical. So that's- Yeah, and it's called transdermal. Yeah, transdermal. Okay. Yeah, so essential oils are actually volatile gases that are uh, captured through steam distillation. They go through a heating process and then a condenser cool down. And that's how we extract those volatile gases. And they are transdermal, which means they break the blood barrier right through your skin. So there's really never a reason to ingest essential oils. I'm not a fan of the ingesting that's going on. It's not really making me so thrilled. I think it's a little over the top. I think they're being overly used, like excessively used. Essential oils are my babies. I love them, but they will dry you out if you overuse them. And they will not show you their value because you'll just be flooded with medicine in your blood and you needed less. So they're just people overdose. <laughs> they really do. But, you know, your mucous membranes, those are volatile gases. So you don't want to blow out your salivary glands or your taste buds. I mean, I know people who started drinking them like crazy and now they can't taste anything. Like they blew out their taste buds. It's a bummer. They're transdermal in nature. So that's the beauty. You can put them anywhere and you can detect them on your breath within 10 minutes, even on your toe. You can detect it on your breath. But we always try to put them where you're trying to intend. So if you're working on scars, put them right on the scars. If you're working on your kidneys, you put them directly on the kidneys. And that way you're getting closest to home of where you're wanting to deliver the medicine. But it will travel throughout the whole entire bloodstream sure. and work on multiple things. Alyssa was also asking rose geranium and clary sage 
I guess she was wondering if those should go on a certain area of the body. And then she was also wondering about thyroid support. Like is rose geranium and clary sage, is that related to thyroid support? I would say low thyroid and thyroid issues is pretty high in the breast cancer world. Yeah, it gets zapped. Yeah. It does. Or, or it's women who have low thyroid to start. Uh-huh. And then you don't have the metabolism to produce the same kind of cells. Yeah. Okay. So yes to the clary sage and the rose geranium being good for all of your glands, including thyroid. So they're regulators for all. I would probably choose rose geranium for thyroid specifically over the clary sage only because it's connected to kidneys and adrenals. And one of the most primary reasons our thyroid goes low is because the adrenals leach from it when you're in fight or flight. So the more survival you're living in, the more the adrenals are going to take. I always make the joke. It's kind of like LA looking like an oasis, but all their water came from another place. It's really a desert. It's going to just find a source. And so the adrenals outsource the thyroid. So rose geranium would just be smarter there. The other thing I think of is cardamom specifically, and those spices I mentioned as far as enzymatic. So that's what the thyroid needs. And then we're also back to seaweed. And the fact that seaweed is so good for regulating the thyroid, that if you are on thyroid medication, I don't know if you know this, but you can't take a lot of seaweed. You can eat it once in a while, but you actually can't take it as a supplement because it stops your medicine from working because it takes over its job. That's how cool seaweed is. And even doctors know that, that it's contraindicated. But I put people on high dose of seaweed. I get all their enzymes built up. And then that's one of the ways with their doctor's help. But that's one of the ways I will help somebody wean off of thyroid medicine and then just find the enzymes needed. But yeah, cardamom, it's called seven sacred pods. They do seven sacred pods of cardamom a day. You chew on them and you just break up everything and you get all the fibers and the seeds down in the stomach and you really chew on it because that's how it slow drips down into the thyroid and then connects your thyroid to your stomach. Cardamom is a great way to go. Yeah, buying the whole pods of cardamom. I've started doing that. I try to put the seven pods like in a little dish on the counter every day so that I get them in over the course of the day chewing on them. They taste great. Yeah, it's delicious. Anybody else have any questions or? Find this and every live recording of My Body episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to Diana Essentials. Oh, this would be a good one for y'all. This is another good one. It's a chapati roller. Oh, yeah. From the Indian market, you can find these. And you may just have some little thin rolling pin. Mm -hmm. But they're chapati rollers, which is like the little bread of India. These are brilliant for getting rolled out. So like, say you open up your lymph with the lymphedema, you open up your upper channels, you get the river flowing. And then if you had a friend or a partner or someone who could help you, and you can just use it like, it's just like a big, huge broom. But if you laid down soft tissue up and had somebody roll your arms out towards your chest, this is just like one big, huge broom flushing the water out of your body. And I've used this on Molly, including myself, but it's really good for also getting like tissue in the lower body. But yeah, rolling pin, chapati roller, I will use anything. Things you have in your kitchen that could change your tissues. It's amazing. 
Well, you talked about hydration. I guess, well, we're kind of at the end there. I was going to say chia seeds and water. I've shared that one with a bunch of people. Chia seeds and water, essential fatty acids, 8,000 milligrams a day, which are all raw seed oils. They're oxygenated fats. Mm-hmm. That's how we absorb water. And electrolytes. And you'll need to read my book if you think salt is a bad thing. You're going to have to read that little ebook. Check it out because we're talking about ocean salt that's unprocessed salt versus I would never tell you to do processed salt. It's too irritating. It's super inflammatory. But you have all your electrolytes that the wave crashing in, the vitamins and minerals in the wave crashing on the earth. So when water and earth meet, we make the only edible crystal in the world called salt. And it's an electrolyte compound. And that's how we cycle water. So electrolytes cycle water, EFAs help you absorb water, the chia seeds slime the cells to make them plump so you can also absorb water, and probiotics are the hydration of the gut. So probiotics are seriously hydrating. And sometimes I can't even get those electrolytes and oils to totally work until somebody's epicenter, their gut is really built up first. So if you're going to go on probiotics, it's got to be for three months. Which that's kind of a key thing, especially after folks who've gone through chemo. Your probiotics are just kind of destroyed after all of that. Are you still on the HMF? I thought I heard you mention a different type recently. It's something yeah, else. So HMF is a human strain probiotic. And it's more for like, if you think you have no absorption and you are just dry, 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 and you can't absorb anything, including food, Yeah, that's the human strain. And it's like what would create a colony in your gut when it's been wiped out. It's the the leader of the colony. And then the one I love that's just a really full spectrum pre and pro biotic, Mm -hmm. it's called Megaspore. And it's by the company Microbiome Labs, Megaspore. And it's a really, really active formula that's like worker bee colony, but it doesn't give people the nauseous and the kind of rumbly. And some people are affected by those. Oh. Building the colony is a little like, yeah. <laughs> and they're all, oh. I know the, the HMF was a game changer. For oh me. man, it's so good. Like in chemo, I was like, I was eating probiotics and stuff and it's just still nothing was getting through. And I went onto the HMF and all of a sudden I was able to digest. Things were getting into me better. And that was a serious game changer. And for some people, you know, I'm not a huge, like take a whole bunch of supplements, things like that. But sometimes you have to build up that colony. And then there's also sauerkraut and like active probiotic foods that you can eat also. But sometimes, especially having gone through surgeries, chemo, other drugs, you do need that boost to help like get your colonies going again. And then you can kind of maintain them with probiotic foods in your diet, right? Once you've got the system running. Yeah, those foods are my daily maintenance. Yeah. So I don't have to supplement. Right. And then as soon as I've fallen off, I'll supplement. Yeah. Or if I just get really stressed, like all year long. And then I'm kind of like, maybe I should live on probiotics this year (laughs) because the stress is high and the unknowns are high. That's when I choose to supplement. When I'm doing good and feeling good and eating good, like I just put it on my food and call it a day. Totally. Let my colony do its job. Yep. Well, I really hope this has been supportive to everyone that joined us. Yeah. 
I hope I gave you enough safety parameters to do this gently and safely, but I also hope I empowered you to kind of like go for it and try it out and see what you can do. Right. It could be a game changer in how you feel in your body and with yourself. Great. Thank you so, so much. Absolutely. Grateful. Yeah, that's great. Right on. You know, and you can always ask me questions on Facebook also. I'm really always available and really love helping everybody that we're in this boat together. And if I don't know the answer, I'll ask me and then I'll get back to you. (laughs) I also have a a course called My Body Mapping. I teach how to read the face and how to read your tongue and how to read your skin and all about the chakras and the glands and how they relate to our physical body. Covers a lot of emotional terrain, a lot of symptomology, physical terrain, but it really ends up being just a whole book where you can just track your symptoms and start looking at yourself as hot, cold, wet, dry. The My Body Mapping is the way to go if you just feel like you want a little bit more information that's like this from me. Ollie, thank you for being such a great advocate. Yeah, thank you for being awesome and helping me so much. And I just love sharing the information. Do what we can for ourselves. Because it's it's so, so true that in oncology, you kind of get that you're done. You've finished chemo. You're out of treatment or whatever. And there's kind of this snowball effect, right? I'm like five years out now. And like this snowball effect of of other things happening in your body that they just don't give us a lot of support for. And so just self-knowledge and being able to do things for ourselves is just so important to helping us uh, live a good life after going through this journey, continuing on the journey. So over here, before we go, you've been working that tissue throughout the whole class. And I'm kind of curious if it's changed at all. We're speaking with you, Renee. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know you're speaking with me. Um, have I noticed change? I mean, I just intuitively have been doing this since my surgery three weeks ago. So I'm just trying to keep things from adhering to the, the rib beneath and a little bit more every day I'm noticing change. And it, it's reassuring. I feel like I'm just doing something when I'm passively doing this. I don't notice myself always doing it, but That's I've cool. noticed I'm starting to do it in public. And I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I don't really care. Yeah, do that too. <laughs> in there, my parents will be like, Molly. I'm like, oh, sorry. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I unfortunately do that sometimes over menus in restaurants. And my husband's always like, Deanna. It's comfort and it's movement. And it feels, it's empowering. I, I'm doing a little something when I can. Well, good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Joel. This is my body a conversation situated at the intersection of elemental science, self-care, ancient arts, and consent. Deanna Batdorf is your guide.